0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wally Gubbles considers the topic, The Significance of the Virgin Mary Through the Ages. And now, here's Wally. Sisters, I don't know why, but I'm just extremely nervous this morning. Sitting there thinking, man, I'd rather be Gary playing guitar right now. <laughs> I'd feel more at ease, but... Uh... I know you all, and I know you've all have been praying for me, and I so I thank you very much for that. So, uh, happy early New Year's to you all, because I probably won't see the, see you New Year's Eve. So the message I have is a uh, so New Year's right? It's, it's open topic. What are you going to speak about? And I, I was kicking it around for quite a while, and um, I got a text from somebody I know, somebody I know who's fairly new to the Bible. So we were texting. And I said. You know, as someone new to the Bible, what kind of message would you message would you want to hear on New Year's? And he texts back and he said, "What what's the significance of the Virgin Mary throughout throughout the ages in Christianity?" I thought, well, there's an <laughs> interesting topic. Um, and, it, and it was it's actually it was funny that he said that because just the day before, I was thinking about Eve, staying through. Uh, Genesis and the curses or the afflictions that the Lord had brought upon her. And then thinking, comparing them to Mary and the blessings that came upon her. And I thought to myself, that, you know, that would be an interesting study. And then this person texted that and I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm going to be studying that sooner than I, than, than I thought. So, the New Year's message um, What is the significance of Virgin Mary in Christianity throughout the ages? Right, Past afflictions versus new blessings, as evident in Eve and Mary. So I'll be reading some uh, selective verses from from Genesis uh, as an introduction, Then, of course in Luke chapter 1. I just want to say uh, at the forefront here that some of my uh, understanding and interpretations of the verses I'll be covering may be different than yours. So... um, I acknowledge and I respect that there are different interpretations of these verses. However, um, I hold to my, to the, my interpretation because I believe that it is uh, this sound and it is biblical. Just so I give you the heads up, if I say some things that may um, catch your ear, that is why. So let's pray before we read. Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, as our brother Dave had indicated, for this uh, last Sunday of this year. We thank you for the blessings that have come throughout the year. We thank you for the trials and the ups and downs. We thank you for the people that have come into our lives and the people who have left our lives this year. We thank you for the new year ahead of us, Lord Father, uh, again, for the blessings and for the trials and how they all bring us closer to you, how they all make us stronger. And uh, our prayer, Lord Father, is that you would help us to remain Faithful throughout the year, as you are the God who always remains faithful, Lord Father. May we, as your children, always remain faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. So Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from this fruit, uh, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from uh, it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable to, uh, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her, her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Therefore the Lord said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. So let's unpack this a little bit. So as, um, as the first stewards of God's covenant people, Adam and Eve were given that the wonderful privilege, uh, a wonderful responsibility of cultivating the garden that the Lord God had planted eastward in Eden. That is, they were to advance the foundation that he had established, right? To expand the work, the work of his hand. And they are given the, the commandment to go forth, multiply, and, and, and fill the earth. That is to bring children onto the Lord. Children who, like they, would be, would be made in God's image. That is man and woman. To be one. Unity. To be one as the Lord God was one. They were to have dominion over the tribes, tribes of the earth. As the first, they were to be the last. As the greatest, they were to be the least and the servants of all. They were not to be served, but they were to serve. But to, uh, to serve, they were to wash one another's feet, and to love one another as themselves. Even their children, we, as we see in them, they were to be overseers of God's people. Where were, were one, like his father, was a gardener, sowing seed, pruning the trees that produced fruit that, so that they would produce more fruit. Where the other son was a good shepherd, tending to the sheep and feeding the lambs. So as innumerable as the stars in the sky and the sands of the shore, so were to be the offspring of mankind, and they were to bring the Lord's glory and provision to all the creatures of the earth, however, among the inhabitants of the land, there is one who was crafty as a serpent. He was a liar and he was a murderer, and his disguise as a messenger of light would prove successful uh, in leading the woman to consider the glory of obtaining godlike wisdom through the knowledge of good and evil. The idea of being equal with God in wisdom was pleasing and desirable and tempting. And Eve and her husband were dragged away by their sinful desires. So as a result, this covenant relationship that they shared with the Lord God was dissolved. This Godlike unity in which they were created was corrupted. The joyful and fruitful work of their hands within the garden would now be defined, uh, defined uh, or um, would be defined by toil and sweat and thorns and thistles outside of the garden. They sacrificed order. And peace for chaos and frustration, and they traded glory and blessing for shame and affliction. So, although mankind would still fill the earth, although they would still multiply, they would not be fruitful. Although they would fill the earth, they would no longer have affectionate reign over it. So, with Adam and Eve, Unseated from their position of authority over all creation, no longer would their strivings to bring forth or to cultivate righteousness on the earth produce fruit. And any effort to bring forth children in the likeness of God would be painful and futile. Listen to these words of Isaiah when when speaking for the nation of Israel. Isaiah writes, As a pregnant woman about to give birth writes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. Listen to this. We have brought we have not brought forth salvation on the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. Sounds exactly like what happened in the garden. But for mankind, there was still hope, hope evident in the curse upon the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, I I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So therein we find the promise of a seed, the promise of a son a son who will dismantle the powers of the adversary. As we see in the illustration of the crushed head, that the source of the serpent's might, its venomous fangs and its flickering tongue would be rendered impotent and unavailing. For mankind here lies the promise of liberation from the afflictions they brought upon themselves through their prideful disobedience. The next three chapters of Genesis are just wonderful. They're just staggering uh, foreshadowings of of the future struggle of God's elect against powers of evil and darkness manifest within individuals, not only outside the people of God, but also within the people of God. It's a daunting revelation that that the destined sons of disobedience have their roots and origins in the sense of obedience. So we come to chapter 4, and without hesitation, we are presented with the first evidence of the promised enmity between offspring. The Lord God's rule, or precepts for acceptance, as he says to Cain, to do what is right is both embraced by Abel, but it's scorned by Cain. He kicks against the goads and the assured animosity between seeds t- takes root. So as Cain opens the door to sin, the ground opens its mouth to receive the blood of his brother Abel at the hands of his brother Cain. So while Cain and his wife uh, settle in a land eastward of Eden and to build a, fa- a family in a city, the family the family of Adam begin to call on the name of the Lord. Thus the generations of the sons of man and the sons of God are established. We come to Genesis, Genesis 5. Fascinating chapter. It, it starts off by saying that when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. I'll say that again. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. But the next verse says, when Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. Not in God's image, but in his own image. So I, I believe here that the writer of Genesis is making a statement that a, re, that a result of the transgressions of mankind, the likeness of God, that Adam and Eve had been created, in, created with this unity, that they had been blessed with this oneness, that the experience of the garden was not passed on to Adam's offspring. Not only has a clear division been established between man and woman, as seen in God's decree to Eve that her husband will be her governor, but the division between God and mankind has resulted and is made obvious in Adam and Eve's banishment from the garden of Eden and the Lord's severe measures to prevent any access to the tree of life. Adam has broken the covenant, has broken covenant with God. His transgressions have, have brought forth afflictions upon him and his offspring, his sons and his daughters. They are now made in his likeness and like their father, the yoke is heavy and hard and they long for rest for their souls. The first half of chapter 5 of Genesis, um, we could, it's almost like a panoramic view uh, of the afflictions upon Eve. From generation to generation, we see how the sons of God fails to produce a son that would bring forth deliverance from their crippling burden. The first, the first six men of Genesis 5, Adam, Seth, Kenan, Mahelalel, and Jared, we read about them that they lived so long, they had a son, lived, lived another number of years, had sons and daughters, and then they died. And it carried on like that. So here, here we see what Isaiah was pointing to, that what God was talking about when he, said, when he said that they would give birth to wind, that they would bring forth children that would not bring life-giving salvation to the people of the world. But the next four men in Genesis 5 should grab our attention. Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And when I first looked at this, I thought, the order's wrong. Enoch should be should be the father of Noah. Why are Methuselah and Lamech in the middle? If you know what I'm saying. But I have a theory, and I'll just allude to it later on. So Enoch, the son of Jared, his name meaning dedicated and anointed, and has this particular description uh, about him. Uh, says that Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, he did not experience death. Then from Enoch came Methuselah. And from Methuselah came Lamech, whom I will call the two witnesses, the two olive trees of this era. And from Lamech comes Noah, of whom Lamech prophesies. He will comfort us in the labor of his painful toil, the toil of our hands uh, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So the combination of these four men point to something new for those in the land who call upon the name of the Lord. Together they manifest an overwhelming foreshadowing of a time when the heavy yoke will fall, fall from the neck of God's people and the dust will be shaken from the clothes there will be rest for their souls, and there will be clothed in the strength of the Lord. But before the sons of God, before the people who call the name of the Lord inherit the earth, the earth must still be shaken. The evil and the wicked upon the land must be shaken and removed. A day of destruction for the ungodly was at hand in the days of Noah. Out of watery chaos, the earth was formed. And by a chaotic deluge, it will pass away. Which brings us to Genesis chapter 6. At the beginning of chapter 6, we read that the sons of God, and I interpret this as the sons of Adam or the sons of Seth, took wives for themselves among the sons of men, which I would interpret as the sons of Cain. This, this language is often pictured in, in the Bible as God's elect people, committing adultery against them or committing idolatry, we read in Exodus 34 um, that Noah says that when you come into the land uh, and you choose some of the daughters of the, of, of the men from other, uh, uh, sorry, and when you come in, and when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods. They will lead your sons to do the same. So this is how this is how I interpret the beginning of chapter six. That when they took wives for themselves, it's meaning that they left God to go serve other gods, foreign gods. So these apostate tempted the Lord. The outcry uh, against them and the grievous sins had reached heaven. They and the, they and the gods in whom they played the harlot with. God would devour with the breath of his mouth. He would not wrestle with them for much longer. Their days are numbered and their time was short. For this reason, God would judge all who had had not heeded the warnings of righteous Noah, but had had been persuaded by the serpent-like deception that you will not certainly die. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Which brings us to, to, to Luke chapter 1 and Gabriel's visit to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The an- angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, we, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has, <clears throat> who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where, her, uh, where she entered uh, Zacchaeus' home, Zechariah's home, sorry, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Which fulfill his promises to her. Can I get a glass of water from somebody, please? Monsieur Joseph, s'il vous plaît, merci. What a fantastic way for Luke to start his gospel. After that introduction um, with the angel Gabriel meeting uh, Zechariah in the temple, now we come to this precious young woman in Nazareth. And this messenger Gabriel appears to her also, bringing her tidings of good news. Words that, that, not that she doubted, but it's, how could this be? Very exciting, but puzzling and and just daunting news. The messenger messenger declared to this young woman, who who like Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, declared to her that the presence of the Lord was with her. So we think of this greeting and contrast it back to Genesis chapter 3. And to that other messenger of another sort that came to Eve. That messenger would bring forth lies and deception. The serpent would say to Eve, Did God really say, You will not die? And you will be like God. Thank you, Joe. No problem. So, but compare this to Gabriel's, Gabriel's greeting to, to Mary. See, where the serpent challenged the character of God, where the serpent challenged the integrity of God's word, Gabriel confirmed its infallibility. For as, when Gabriel was departing, he said to Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Amen to that. Look at Mary's response to Gabriel. It's fantastic and it's faithful. I am the Lord's servant. May the word to me be fulfilled. Now, we compare this to Eve, who, who, who would stand high on her feet, reaching up for what is forbidden and thinking to herself, I will be equal to God. For Mary would bow down humbly, presenting herself as a bondservant to the Lord and whispering, Your will be done, not mine. Gabriel announces to Mary that she was blessed among women, for she would conceive and give birth to a son, but not to a son who who, who could not or would not bring salvation to the world, but to a son whose name was Jesus, meaning the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And then we come to Elizabeth. We are truly fortunate and blessed that Luke included Elizabeth in his gospel. To have the, her words and her conversation conversation with Mary. See she is a fascinating and a very important character in the development of the gospels. So Elizabeth was the soon to be mother Of the last prophet of the Mosaic covenant. The covenant mediated through Moses at Mount Sinai. Within this covenant is the giving of the law. The law that reflected the holiness and pureness and the uniqueness of the character of God. The law that was to to train up Israel to reflect God's holiness to all the nations of the world. And the commandments that were to bring life, but as we know, the commandments brought death because of Israel's hard heart and their stiff necks, stiff necks, and because of the weakness of the flesh, the commandments that were intended to bring life only brought death. And it was a dire reminder to the Israelites of the sin of Adam and Eve and mankind's desperate need for that redeemer that God had promised. Elizabeth's son, John, would be that final herald of the Mosaic Covenant to trumpet the good news of the time of redemption for Israel. Time when that Redeemer would come and that time was at hand. The unveiling was near. So during his ministry, John would point to the one who he saw saw the Spirit of the Lord uh, descend upon and declare Uh, Sorry, and declare that this Jesus is one who is more powerful than he. Therefore, it is no surprise that when Mary entered Elizabeth's house, that John in the womb of Elizabeth jumped for joy, for here was he who would bring, who will bring forth the new covenant, one more powerful than, than the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel when he took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to his covenant, and he turned away from them. We come to Elizabeth's famous words that we all know. Blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the child you will bear or blessed is the fruit of thy womb. For Eve and all the women in the lineage of Adam, what was conceived in them was from men, was from fallen men. And they were overpowered and they were overshadowed By the power of sin. But what was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. And she was overpowered, uh, overshadowed by the power of the the Most High. Contained in Mary's precious womb was a son who, uh, too, like Adam, God, uh, God would give the breath of life. But unlike Adam... The grave would, the grave, uh, he would not remain in the grave. For like Enoch, he would, he would walk faith, faithfully with God uh, God, and the Lord would take him away. Like Noah, Mary's son would find favor with God and provide deliverance from judgment for all who would enter into his rest. From Moses came the law, the law that condemned, but for Mary's, but for Mary's son would come grace and truth grace and truth that's saved for he would have the power to heal and forgive sins he would be the life-giving bread a shepherd to the lost a light to those in darkness and he would be a gate through whom many would enter into the sheepfold of the lord blessed was the child of mary blessed was the child that mary carried for this was the hope of mankind this was the promised seed that the woman Uh, The seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. As the the serpent had manifested itself throughout the ages through individuals um, and rulers and powers and authorities and nations that opposed God and his covenant people, so too the serpent would act against the seed of the woman in numerous guises. In those last days, the serpent would rise up in the symbolic yet daunting form of a great red dragon to war against the Lord and his anointed messengers. However, the serpent of old would not prevail against the seed of the woman and he would fall like lightning from heaven. Blessed, blessed was Mary for in her was an age to come. A new covenant era. A new covenant era when the Lord uh, would put his law in the minds of those who love them and write them on the, write them on their hearts. A time when he, he would be their God and they would be his people. And no one would say know the Lord because they would all know him from the least of them to the greatest. And he would forgive their wicked sins, wickedness and forgive, uh, remember their sins no more throughout our sermon series on Isaiah and the servants of God and the future of God's people a number of the speakers alluded to the destruction of Jerusalem in 870 and our brothers taught that for Israel this was the indication of the, of the end of the old covenant an era that arrived uh, uh, old covenant and the arrival of the new covenant age the passing away of the Mosaic Covenant, and the birth of the Messianic Covenant in Christ Jesus. I would also suggest that for those in Jerusalem and Judea, this was the day of the Lord. This was uh, the day of God's vengeance and redemption. For those brood of vipers who shut the door in the, uh, shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, this was the day that came like a thief in the night. For the offspring of the serpent who sat in Moses' seat, this was the day that heaven disappeared with a roar. And in 8070, for the hypocrites who justified themselves through the through perverted obedience to the law and man and man-made traditions, this was the day that the earth and everything everything done in them was laid bare. But at the destruction of Jerusalem in 8070, for the poor in spirit, this was the day the kingdom of heaven had come. For the meek, this was the day they would inherit the earth. For the pure in heart, this was the day they would see God. And for the peacemakers, this was the day they would become children of God. Again, listen to this, these fantastic words from Isaiah. Isaiah 65. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes, and people say, don't destroy it, there is still blessing in it, so will I do on the behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them. I will not destroy them all. Before, uh, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servant will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. They will not labor in vain, no, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. So to summarize, to, conc- to conclude, what's the significance of Mary in Christianity throughout the ages? This is my answer. Mary is the mother of all who will live in Christ Jesus. Adam had given the name Eve to his wife, the name Eve means living. He called her that because she would become the mother of all the living. She was the mother of all, who, all those who lived by faith in the Lord God in the days of old. She, um, they were confident in all they hoped for, and they were sure in all that they did not see. Eve was the mother of Abel, who by faith offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Eve was the mother of Enoch, who walked faithfully with God. Eve was the mother of Noah, who found favor with God. She was the mother of Abraham and Sarah and their, and their children Isaac and Jacob, who believed God's promises to them. Eve was the mother of Moses and Rahab and Samuel and David and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. And ministered justice, shut the mouth of lion, quenched the fury of flames, and escape the edge of the sword. However, Mary would be the mother of something greater. Something that the children of Eve long to look into. If Eve was the mother of all who would live, then Mary was the mother of all who would live in Christ Jesus. For in Jesus is life. And the light of all mankind. He is the resurrection and the life. And through him many people will pass from death to life. And and Jesus is the living hope of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. Jesus became the firstborn from the dead when he stepped out of the grave three days after his crucifixion. Therefore, all who are baptized into his death are baptized into his resurrection. And all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, for they are born again. All who live in Christ, they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And the life they now live in the flesh, they live by faith in the Son of God, who loves them and gave himself for them. At the, end of, uh, at the end of Mary's visitation with Elizabeth, we have these wonderful words it's called the Song of Mary. Just a couple of verses here. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The significance of Mary is that she is also the voice of the servants of the Lord. So allow me to read this again, and I will place us in there. Our souls glorify the Lord, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call us blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for us. And holy is his name. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing these things to us. Thank you, Lord Father, that in this new year, Lord Father, we will go forth with the knowledge of the new life you have given to us. Thank you, Father, that we are born again. Thank you, Father, for giving us the eyes to discern your kingdom, to see that your kingdom has come and that the evil one has done away with. that his his power over death uh, no longer has power over those who are called the sons of God. Lord Father, we are saved and we are sanctified and we are kept safe in your hands through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord Father, for the faithfulness of Mary um, who who believed the message to her. Thank you, Lord Father, for being gracious to her, for blessing her, for, for finding favor with her and for using her Um, to bring forth your Son into the world, who is life, life for all who would come to him. We praise this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at church. Until next time.